0: Welcome to season three of the Gamers Change Lives podcast, Esports 101 Building a Business. Over the past year, we've talked with many esports professionals around the world. Our audience knows how to play games, and now they're eager to level up their skills in the business arena. This season aims to equip every esports entrepreneur with practical and useful knowledge to achieve success. Think of it as a mini course eSports 101. And now your host, Tom Leonard.
1: I'm Tom Leonard. I'm the host of the Gamers Change Lives podcast, where we talk about how eSports can create jobs all over the world. In Season 1, we talked about jobs. In Season 2, we called it Follow the Money. We're talking about how to raise money for your eSports organization. And here in Season 3, we're talking about how to build a business, building a business building concept. We call it eSports 101. Really, really this is, this is going to be a great conversation. I'm really honored to have Victor Castro, who's the U.S. Director of Army West Point Esports. Yes, West Point. Welcome, Victor.
2: Hey, thank you. Thank you thank very much for having me.
1: This is going to be good. Um So, you know, conversation today, I want, want to kind of cover three different areas. First, I'd talk a little bit about your background, what brought you to esports, okay. what brought you to the military. Then I want to talk about the unique situation, the unique program that you have at West Point for esports. And then also... Um, third, I wanted to talk a little bit about just in general, how to build an esports team, because building an esports team at West Point is no different than building an esports team anywhere in the world. So a lot of the same concepts are going to be, be out there. And it's always good for people to hear someone else's take on it. So first, what, what brought you to the military? And, and, and we always say thank you for your service, but oh, it, you. it, it really means I've heard you say that too. Yeah. And, uh, no, people should be saying it, saying it more.
2: Uh, and it is because, you know, we want to we want to acknowledge that people have taken on and, you know, a lot of us, as you know, we have taken on an oath, you know, to you know support and defend the Constitution of the United States and what that means to that person. You know, so uh, that thank you is genuine and saying, hey, you know, thank you for committing that time and your effort to really put towards my well-being without even knowing who I am. Um, for me, military was, you know, coming out of um a small town out of, uh, you know, New York and in, in some of the suburbs of New York um the typical family you know single mother you know small nuclear family and you know really not knowing what's going to be next you know at a time when i really didn't know what was going on in my life community college versus university and you know not having enough money to do all that stuff so ultimately it comes down to making a decision and um the military was the best course for me so you know what's nice about the US army at the time you know for the particular job that i chose they offered me a you know, a pretty decent bonus. I didn't need the bonus so much, so I turned it into my family and said, hey, you know, do what you can and uh, I'm going to go make this work. And um, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. Uh, it worked well for me. You know, um, after a while, I was able to take advantage of the education capabilities of the U.S. Army, the GI Bill and all that stuff that was later on in my career. Um, and then that put me in a position where I was able to apply that towards getting you know an undergraduate and a graduate degree. And, um, and then, you know, leaving the military, I spent, uh, you know, a couple, you know, a couple of years in combat and that put me in a position to say, hey, I'm, you know, I, I have a different type of resume. So, you know, you know, West Point was a natural fit because it has a really great blend of military, you know, developing young leaders and education. So my background is in um, game art and design, as well as um, education and you know, instructional design with technology. So it all just, it all just jive together.
1: No, I saw that in your background, that little bit of game, yeah. game development. too. Yeah. that's, that, that's good. So what, um, so what brought you to esports in particular? You're talking a little bit about the military there, but, but yeah. it's like, it was your, uh,
2: did you start on a PS2? No, I'll go, go further back than that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, again, we're going to try to not date ourselves here. You know, no, like, no, here. no,
1: exactly. That's what I was like. I was like, no, no, no.
2: Yeah, you can imagine. So, I, I distinctly remember, you know, my parents getting me a Nintendo for the first time. I've experienced ColecoVision, you know, elements of Atari. So, um, what's nice? What was nice Donkey about ColecoVision? Kong. Oh, geez. You know, if anybody go ahead and Google this stuff as you listen, um, it, it was really, you know, you got a game. That's what you got. You paid for the whole entire thing. There's no such thing as a DLC. And it was really first person, you know, it was more or less single player versus multiplayer. All that stuff was gone. Um, A lot of things were permadeath. I remember when they invented a save point. (laughs) Imagine that. Um, But yeah, when Nintendo came out, that was revolutionary. And then we went into the Sega era. And that's where I really got into a lot of Mortal Kombat work. And then um, really PlayStation came around. I remember playing Twisted Metal until I was blue in the face in PlayStation 1. And then... um, you know, then at that point, I you know, I was getting into what was going on and I, I was taking a lot of breaks. So then gaming wasn't too much for me on a personal level, you know, going into, you know, the military and things. So getting into gaming where I am now, it really became a byproduct of the cadet interest and their, you know, their intrinsic motivations. Because as you may know from my bio that I'm also the deputy director of Sims for the Academy. So, oh, yeah, that no, no, that just sounds really interesting. So modeling and simulation talk about anyway. Oh well, yeah, in general sense, modeling and simulations is exactly what you think it is. It's a representation of any type of particular training. And hey, look, we do it it happens a lot in regular, you know, professions. You know, nursing has a huge simulation component. You know, now you can see a lot of VR work coming out of medical profession. So really eSIMS gets after this method we call the crawl walk run methodology. So obviously you're introduced to something new. You're gonna crawl like most people, like we did when we were young, and then the walk phase is that modeling and sims. You get a chance to stumble you get a chance to practice those things you get a chance to you know really start to pseudo run and then you're going to run for real so with um modeling sims with us we focus on the strong points like you know shoot move and communicate you know obviously movement is like things like land navigation so a young woman comes in they never touched a compass before i mean i've asked students all the time when's the last time you used a folding map to navigate you know anywhere in the u.s or internationally And nobody can answer that because technology today, they pull out their app and takes them right where they're going. So what we find as instructional designers is that young men and women that come into university settings don't necessarily have the belief in the tech, you know, in the, in the ways things were taught prior to this because they rely so much on technology. So there's no, you know, there's no incentive, there's no value, there's no attainment in, in learning how to just generally navigate, you know? So we have to break through that barrier with our students. Introduce why it's important to learn these things, and then learn, you know, teach them successfully. So, which is really, really important. Can you um, describe
1: a little bit in
2: detail um, it, what
1: what is West Point and what role does it play in the military? Because of our global audience, I mean, there's not a person in the U.S. that doesn't understand
2: what oh, West absolutely. Point is. But
1: yeah, from, a, can, from a global standpoint, what is West Point?
2: Oh, West Point is the premier, eminent, you know military institution for the United States Army. Um, it's designed to develop leaders of character to become commissioned officers in the United States Army. And that really means, you know, young men and women from throughout the United States and throughout the world, because we have international students as well, come in to learn the, you know, the different pillars that are responsible for the development, which includes military, academic, the physical pillar, and as well as character. And character is a big one because we have a chance to Introduce to these young women and men, these values and these, you know, modalities that will help them develop and to be, you know, really strong leaders. So West Point is internationally known, you know, throughout the whole entire world as this, you know, this epicenter for, for that.
1: And there are other um, similar uh, or, uh,
2: institutions in the other
1: branches of service, right?
2: Yep. Yep. You have the Naval Academy, you have the Air Force Academy, as well as the Coast Guard Academy, all of them with very similar interests. Um, you just, you know, as, as most of the view, readers, viewers are no readers, viewers can understand is that there's a different endpoint. Obviously, the Naval Academy is working with different, you know, systems as well as the Air Force Academy. But at its core, a lot of these service academies have the same objectives in mind. You know, the focal point is the cadet or, you know, the midshipman at, you know, at, at the epicenter. And then, what kind of product we're bringing into the Department of Defense, as far as you know, officers? You
1: no, know, just all the institutions, all the all the, the service academies have, a, I think, a really high reputation here in the U.S. I mean, they're very well respected, which, uh, as they should be. So, um, is the the goal of the training at West Point to train uh, leaders to remain in the Army for their career? For you know, are are you trying yeah. to train people to to be in the army for for decades or just for a few years?
2: Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, that's the hope. You know, it, you know, the, it's such a diverse population here. I can only speak on behalf of the the West, the Military Academy, and say that sure. we want to inspire. You know, you have a young woman that comes in, a young man that comes in, and you want to inspire them to to understand that the United States Military Academy is a profession. It's a it's a culture. It's It'll bring you the things that you want to be able to apply to a family soon if you don't have a family already and to the people around you, so obviously, yes, we want them to be career officers, we want them to bring that skill set, especially when they've learned all these professions so well and to sustain that, and then eventually chain train the people after them so but we know it's we got to be realistic people develop skills that eventually you know can put them in a position to move to a different career or become an entrepreneur so you know, you got to be realistic. Some people will spend five years or 10 years, you know, and at which point they'll reevaluate their lives to see whether or not a retirement with the military is something that, you know, they want to do. And then you also have the variables of their family members, you know, you know, spouses can be like, hey, this may not jive for how they're moving. Yes. you know, you've, we've all heard stories about, you know, these deployments and, you know, some of the hardship tours that, you know, you know men and women have to take and that, that has impacts on families. So in the, in, in. In the long run, yes, we definitely want them to be career officers. We want them to keep that skill set within the military, and then we want them to be able to train the people behind them.
1: Got it. Got it. So um, can you describe a little more in detail about your eSports program? Yeah,
2: so, you know, we painted the picture, you know, that we got this, you know, Sims environment, and it it includes several things. You know, what's really nice about our particular military is that you know, the army thinks as a whole about what things they're investing in and what they're using for the taxpayer dollar. So we have something called programs of record. Um, we have a virtual weapons range. We have virtual computers. We have softwares that allow us to use that in both training and education and things like that. So imagine I have this three, you know, 200, 200 2500 square foot lab with 60 machines in it. So Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to about 4 p.m., it's doing everything with that program of record. You know, we're bringing our simulation out. And then we're able to do that walk method with that simulation for land nav or how to move a squad across the terrain. So first-person environment. So at one point, I mean, I've been in the business for years. Two cadets walk up to me and they're like, hey, sir, could we use this space for gaming? I'm like, "Ah, huh, absolutely. It, you know, what's nice about that, because an instructor now sees what we want to see in a student is an intrinsic motivation. So with that intrinsic motivation, they're able to, hey, you can use the equipment, but here's my stipulations. You've got to design this thing. You've got to come up with all the elements of it. And their motivation ran with it. And that was the first start of the program. Um, what became difficult is that you have this loss of continuity because, you know, all universities in, in most organizations, you have this rotation of people. And, you know, these two gentlemen were on their way to graduate. So they wanted to leave something behind. They started the product. Um, right behind them was young, you know, young men and women that were coming into the academy as freshmen, or we called them plebes. And then again, they they doubled down on the, pro- on the product as well. So it was my responsibility to take a step back, allow it to develop, but at the same time, I had to make sure that it had the long term plan in place. So at which point we had to develop a, um, a presentation to the leadership. You know, and it was important to demonstrate to our leadership that this is something that's going to have legs. This is something that's going to sustain and it's going to have the ability to reach out to, you know, a significant amount of cadets in order to enhance their experience. Can you, so can was you like, talk
1: a little bit, it, it, a little bit more detail about the part of explaining to your superiors that it was oh, really oh, something yeah. useful? Because it, it just, it just brings back that we had a conversation with John Cash uh, last, last year, and he, he created the 1st esports program at an HBCU. North Carolina, and to, to hear him tell stories about how he got the uh, the, the university to um, to give the green light when he had he had no budget. I mean, he, he just like you know, he's like, "There's no reason for them to to do this," but he was able to make it happen. So I was interested yeah. to hear how did how, not just because it's, it's something peculiar specific to West Point, but people who are looking to do uh, programs in any higher education institution,
2: how do they make yeah. that happen? Yeah, and we're going to tie this probably back into how we talk a little bit later about how to build that org. Um, Really, what it comes down to is your stakeholders, whoever they may be, president of the university, you know, the head of marketing, any, you know, fill in the blank here. You're going to really have to paint a picture for them that they have a level of comfort and understanding that there's limited risk. There's going to be, you know, a maximum, you know, distribution across the people they care about, whether it's themselves or it's their stakeholders. For us, it's our students or our cadets. And then we had to demonstrate some type of coherent plan. We were responsible for doing a short term, long term, midterm, almost like a three year plan about where we can anticipate this being. For me, when we put together the slide presentation to the leadership, it became extremely important to nest it into the values of the academy and all those pillars that we talked about. Um, these these designs, these development strategies that are at the academy, you know, target you know. The development of the cadet to, you know, what they talk about, lead honorably, you know, d- develop leaders of a character. That's how we sold it right away. Uh, we went in even as far as finding literature reviews that talked about the benefits of esports and laying it out in that fashion. I remember doing the presentation. We had representatives from each division of the academy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Each one of them bringing their, you know, th- their their strengths, you know, education versus training. And imagine me standing in front of them with, you know, like a board leader and then say, hey, so first thing I did, excuse me, first thing I did was turn around and ask them, what do you think esports is? And that changed the whole entire dynamic because one person's like, oh, yeah, my 12 year old does this. I kind of understand it. And they were able to feed into me what their perspective was instead of me doing that, you know, cold pitch. Um, And it became important because then I was able to not necessarily counter their beliefs on it, but then accentuate their understanding. And I said, yes, this is exactly what you think it is. And the biggest thing I sold was that the cadets are interested in this. And, yeah, there is a potential problem with, you know, students. And, again, we talk about generally about not having the right balance and spending so much time playing and then not having this balance between family and community and personal, you know, growth and, and time and academics. But one thing that became extre- extremely important to bring out was that this, they're doing this anyway you know, their motivations are there. They're gaming because they enjoy it. They're gaming because there's this design, you know, commercially for them to get in and buy these games and play these games. So why wouldn't we absorb that and then put together a way for us to, for them to find balance in doing it? You know, if a student comes up to play in the, in the lab for two or three hours, they have to counter that with another two to three hours worth of academics. You can't just spend eight hours there grounding and like, I'm gonna kick you out. Go get to the library, do the thing you're supposed to do. And obviously, if they're not doing those things, they're going to be held accountable for it. So it became extremely important to demonstrate that at that briefing. We've understood the whole basis. We nested it within the program. you know. And I I encourage people to do this too. Understand where you're coming from inside the organization and what those main pillars are for that organization and then marry up the program with it. And that's what's so nice about esports is because it's very fluid. Can you talk about...
1: Uh, it sounds like a real solid approach. Mm-hmm. Um, could you talk in a little bit more detail, expand on the idea of leadership? Because I think, I think one of the things that, that people, you know, it, it, we're not going to solve it uh, on, on this no. little podcast. We're not going to solve the issue of, you know, is, is esports good for, for whoever is playing it and, and so on. But, but you, but one of the things is that, you know, people, um, I don't think people ex- think about it so much as a way to, create leaders and i just and it's one of the things that i find in playing games it's like you know when you you, you create a team it's like you create a team you go on a quest you you, you meet a goal i mean that, that that describes a lot of life out there so could you explain a little bit on the leadership side of what it is that uh esports does for you at west point
2: well leadership for us is defined as providing purpose motivation and direction towards a common goal um leadership, you know, winning, we see as a byproduct of good leadership. You know, so when you put together all these elements, you know, number one is similar interest. You know, when we first started the program, it started within the Rainbow Six Siege community. The young men that put it together, they all had similar interests. They wanted to get together. They were, they're ready to go from this casual to competitive state. What became extremely important for them to understand is if you're going to be successful and competitive, now you're going to change the dynamic. Most of us probably play casually and we enjoy that. They may, you personally, as a casual player, may hit a state where are like, hey, what's next for me? I, I kind of beat the game. I kind of don't know what's up. You know, if everybody's on the same page, then you all move forward as a group. With that understanding, you can't necessarily do that with some, some type of what we label as command and control. You know, there has to be some type of cohesive move forward. And yeah, there can be a collective group. Everybody has the same ideas. But at some point, you're going to hit some disagreements. You're going to hit some different direction approach. Somebody in the game is going to say, hey, man, we should be running this strat. And somebody else is going to be like, hey, we should be running this. And there it is. As ever minuscule as it may be, you're going to have a difference of opinion and then possibly a collapse because this person wants to get a certain experience in their gaming and this other person wants a certain level of competition. So with those two differences, you're going to need leadership. What we do really well with the program is we initially decide that, yes, we're going to go forward with this game. And what we look for, what we look at is the competitive market that the game provides. If there's something that can be sustained, again, it's not a one and done type of game where they come in, they say they have the new best esports program and it's done in eight months and we don't, you know, we don't commit a lot of assets to it. So in regards to leadership, this esports provides opportunity for us. Now we want to get as many cadets in a leadership role and and I'll define that a little bit more. What I mean by leadership role, as 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 much as possible, you know, small program. We have about fifty-eight players. We play six different games, so we have six opportunities to have either a captain or a co-captain environment. So potentially twelve students could be in that type of leadership role. Now the things that they're doing for us is they're getting deliberate practice, and that's the biggest thing. The development of deliberate practice is putting yourself in those situations to get those you know re- those rehearsals. And to be able to deal with that. And eSports is great for that. There's a small team of five or less. I don't think there's any competitive game that's more than five now. Um, and out of those five people, you're going to get some raw, rugged, you know, language and experiences coming out of these players in a high-pressure environment. This young man or woman now has to f- get this, you know, experience and how to get this teams through this. And that's exactly what we're looking for. We're looking for these instances of leadership that can pop up. Um, it also involves character, you know, the the type of things that are, they're going to be saying to each other. I'll be speaking on Monday in a panel in, um, in Clark university, talking about toxicity and how all this stuff can inject itself at this point. So ultimately it's about creating these, you know, realistic learning environments for leadership to take place, you know, so as an instructional designer, I specialize in creating learning environments from, I create, I control the left and right limits. That's what I do as a director. I make sure that everything that the program is residing in is within, you know, standards. And then inside of those standards, the leadership can take place. Now you can do this with your companies. You can do this with you know, organizations. Now there has to be somebody responsible and that's me. But ultimately inside of this pick a game, League of Legends, inside our League of Legends team, they control. What happens inside of that that pocket of of the game itself? I just, I just find this
1: really really interesting the whole uh, side of uh, and for any esports team of how the leadership works there because it's yeah. it's it's just it, it just uh, creates an environment that is more, that is more similar to re- the real world than really just about any yeah. other kind of game that uh, that you play out there. So you have um, you both. Um, male and female cadets
2: in your, we do. Your um, we, we've debated on the topic of co-ed versus, you know, gender specific. Um, and the idea there is that there is a massive amount of toxicity. We don't see it in the Academy because there's a level of professionalism that exists in character that it just doesn't exist. But we do know that it happens in the online casual environment. So a young woman that enjoys the play, she's doing it at, at home prior to coming to the Academy probably went through a significant amount of toxicity in these online environments. I've read reports of young women that play now that even had to get voice changers because they couldn't, you know, play in this environment. So unfortunately for them, they have a bad taste in their mouth about this. There are some players out there that are still battling through it and they have my highest respect because we have, we have to really get after this problem and we'll probably talk about that in a a podcast, you know, in the future. But yeah, the, when we created the program, it's, it's a completely open door. You know, anybody can come in at a time. Um, every August or September, we have something called Club Night. And when we bring out Club Night, it's just like most universities. Hey, everybody, take a look at all the great extracurricular activities that mm-hmm. are available at yeah, this university. That
1: part. Yeah.
2: We do the same exact thing, and it's completely open. We just we have a pretty much like a tablet-based entrance form, and it, male versus female, it doesn't matter. And then that leads to pretty much a roster that everybody that wants to come to the program. And then our team captains, again, leadership getting back to their responsibilities are responsible for holding tryouts. Um, there's a casual and there's a competitive side to army West point Esports, but there's not a lot of casual in it. And what we found is that people immediately see the program. They think we're highly competitive right away. And I'm like, Hey man, just come and see what it's like. Come and check it out. We're not necessarily competitive all the time. Yeah. We compete. And yeah, we're at you know that high collegiate level, but, no, you can learn from the ground up. You'll, we'll sit you down and we'll teach you about the game. And most women, when they go by, they're like, "No, I'm not. I'm not interested."
1: Yeah. So, um, what, what's your training schedule like there for
2: for, for uh, any cadet that's in the program? Well, coming back down to the decentralized level, the decentralized approach, and that mirrors how some of the elements of the army is designed. You have the the team leader. <clears throat> the, the smallest element in a military you know environment is the buddy team. You know, two soldiers side by side going through everything together, and then you have the fire team. Now we're gonna we're gonna modify that a little bit. The fire team is usually four people, so here our most our biggest game is five, and then you have two of those teams of five that would grow to be a squad, and then thus a platoon. So we're working down at the fire team level. Um, so that type of training environment, I don't delegate at all. And then getting back to that leadership we talked about, you know, I hold them responsible for coming up with their own training cycles when they can find the time. Because as you can imagine, service academies, we don't have as much time as most universities. You know, um, a lot of our games won't practice more than five hours a week. And for some games and for some universities or for some esports programs, that's a morning, <laughs> but that's like an afternoon and a little bit of morning. So, uh, that's just the way it goes here at the academy because there's, um, there's a focus on academics. There's a focus on, you know, their physical fitness and their military training, and there's no compromise. Um, and there it, it has to be because there's so much to cover at the military academy for them to become commissioned officers. So that leadership has to be present. You know, when you're there at practice, let's, let's get together. Hey, how was your day? Good to see you again. All right. Let's go right into AIM lab, right? Get right into your warmups and. The cadet leadership handle that. So that's another example of that leadership we talked about. They've got to get that schedule going. they got to hold the players accountable, Uh, accountability, attendance. All that happens at the team level. I I
1: can only imagine that uh, the level of competitiveness Mm -hmm. at at a place like West Point is probably a little different than it is at the University of West Virginia or any other – I'm not depicting that, but any Mm -hmm. other uh, higher –
2: yeah. And the That's assumptions about the populations and what they do is probably generally right. You know, they have a chance to show up and practice in, in, in UGS. you know, and at one point we were setting up for a game and we had to pause for a bit because I told the other captain, hey, my soldiers are, our, sorry, my, my cadets and my players are in a mandatory formation. I'm like, what is that? It's like, yeah, they got a formation they got to be at. So they're going to be about 15 minutes late. I promise you, we're one of three universities that have to deal with that. And it's the Naval Academy, the United States Military Academy. And the Air Force Academy and Coast Guard Academy. They're starting to program up. They're they're doing really well. No other university has that problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it just adds to the uh yeah. it adds to it, I think. I mean, it's it makes it sets you apart a little bit, uh, in in a good way out there. Talking about the organization that you have there. Do you, have, do you have a staff? Do you have coaches? Do you have other people? Do. People that tech people? Can you describe kind of what your uh, uh, what your uh, structure looks like there for other people that are creating esports organizations?
2: Absolutely. Or, uh, um, yeah, like like the many clubs at the, at West Point. There's uh, there's elements of officers that have, again have all these opportunities to continue to develop cadets and continue to inspire. So you have officer representatives or ORs. You'll see this in our NCAA programs as well for football, women's basketball. There's these officers that are always demonstrating what right looks like, right uniform, right levels of motivation, um, energy, you know, motivate, you know, I said motivation, right? but you know, positive energies and then maintaining that standard. So travel to and from different universities, you'll see an OR for me at e- e- eSports is inherently online. You know, we don't necessarily have to have this OR presence for a lot of these away games or, you know, sideline type environments because we're all, you know, within the lab or in the cave competing. But reflecting on me a little bit as a director, I can't do it all. There's got to be people that are in a position to be able to take on, you know, these different problems or these different focuses that we have. So right out the gate, we have an assistant officer in charge. I mean, count on me for your acronyms. So OIC, I'm tech, actually technically called an OIC, officer in charge, but I'm not actually a commissioned officer. So I use the term director, so it translates well to the civilian environment. Could you, so, explain,
1: for, so, yeah, you, know, could you explain for just a second, what is a commissioned officer?
2: A commissioned OIC? officer is an individual that's been gone through a process to become, you know, an officer itself. I, I don't know how else to describe him, but commissioned by either an education program and then an oath of, an, of commissioning. A non-commissioned officer is somebody who is not been commissioned per se by that oath, but is you know what we call the sergeants, the NCOs or non commissioned officers. They go from private all the way to command sergeant major. Then you have a commissioned officer who will start as a second lieutenant all the way up to a four star general. So that's- these specific branches. So um, every cadet that's at the academy is working their way to be commissioned as a second lieutenant.
1: Is that what? You, is that what you, sorry to d- d- diverge mm-hmm. a little bit. Is that what you come out of at, when you graduate uh, yes. from from the academy? You're, yep. you're a second lieutenant.
2: Yeah, and the, you know each of these academies translate to about twenty percent or maybe twenty five percent of the commissioned officer requirements for each one of the branch, as well. And then you have the other elements of the um, ROTC programs and all these other different programs that are hitting those numbers that each one of these DOD entities need for officers, you know, for the long term. So when we bring in the amount of students we bring in per year, our our trans, you know, our graduation rate is almost identical to that because we have a lot of focus on them doing well. And then they go into the force.
1: Yes. Yes. So you also mentioned um, not to get too far off the beaten path. Here, mm-hmm. You have international students.
2: At, we do. We at do. What do.
1: Point are there yeah. um, is that is that pretty common and where do they come from?
2: Well, uh, it can be about thirty different countries. There are most of the countries that are our allies, and a lot of you know focus for our for our country. Um, and it's also shared shared experiences, and they can come from different countries. Obviously, you know, Great Britain, France, Germany. Um, I've seen Moroccan, I've seen Egyptian, you know, and they're there for usually for a semester, and they translate for both ways. You know, a young woman or man from our institution will spend time at their military academy. So it's really that shared, you know, knowledge. We have instructors come from these other, you know, universities in these other countries. And in turn, we translate and sending our instructors there. Um, So it, it becomes important to demonstrate that we're alike in a lot of ways. And then even our differences can bring education. So, yeah, about 30 to 31 different countries actually have representatives at the academy. You know, not necessarily, you know, spending all four years there, but definitely having significant semesters there to learn a lot from us
1: that would be really great for the for the get to be able to go and and go to the other country and and learn learn what they're doing. I mean, that 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 would be. A- yeah,
2: it's an amazing opportunity. And I distinctly remember having a foreign cadet come up. And say, Yo, can I play esports for you? I'm like, absolutely, man. Come on up, and you know, because there's some downtime. There's a lot about it. Like, hey, I what am I doing? I go library? i like, no, come up and grind. You know, sit side by side with some of these competitive players and just get after it. Um, I don't have an international player right now, you know, but. No, who knows? Maybe in a couple of years, that'll that'll be that'll change. Yes, yes. Hey, uh, talking
1: about um, funding for yes. your because uh, I'm I'm just assuming that that's it's funded internally. But I also seem to recall that you also have outside
2: sponsors. Is that true? We do, we do. So the two main categories: appropriated funding and non-appropriated funding. So appropriated funding is your taxpayer, you anybody you know, in the United States the American citizen that's contributed taxes to the Department of Defense budget. Appropriated funds are designed to work with mission, mission dollars. This is not necessarily a mission for the academy. This is called an extracurricular club, so we're not necessarily putting any of those appropriated dollars towards this at all. Um, now, I am obviously a DoD employee. I work as a GS employee, so my time obviously is valuable. But this is an what we call an additional duty, so I don't get paid any extra for this. It's almost like my volunteer focus as a DoD you know, employee. And when I interact with this, it's it's piecemeal throughout the day, but usually starts around 4 o'clock, 4.30, and then I deal with, you know, but Discord you know, is, is in my life <laughs> all the time. So, yep, yeah, it's like 24-7. But the idea there is that um, we live within the non-appropriated fund environment, um, something called we call NAFI, non-appropriated funds instrumentalities. And in this part of this regulation, it, it really revolves, if you heard the term MWR, or Morale, Welfare, and Recreation. It's notorious known, known with um, the OSU, pro, no, I'm sorry, OSU, USO programs, and actually the, the term MWR. So most Army organizations have this morale, welfare, and recreation, recreation tale that does the things, the ski slope, uh, the bowling alleys, all the different things the communities needs for these military families to have you know entertaining aspects. So um, the Department, uh, the Directorate of Cadet Activities at West Point Functions within that. So we have about 130-something clubs that operate as a NAFI. And that funding can come from donations through the Association of Graduates. Uh, it can come from a set-aside a set aside budget that's identified by the academy in order to support all these clubs. So when we formed eSports, um, I was responsible to explain into that board we talked about earlier, like, how, how are you going to do this? You know, you usually got to have an answer for that. What was nice about our situation? I was like, "Hey, by the way, all of this is going to be run at the Sim Center." <laughs> so they're like, "Oh, good. So you're all set. I didn't have to buy computers. We didn't have to do nothing. So consider dual ROI on the Sim Center mission. So at 4:30 till maybe nine o'clock at night, those computers are getting dual ROI. The space is getting no ROI. It's all about cadet experience." So I didn't, I sold that as, hey, you don't need to spend any money on computers. You don't need to spend any money on the network. I've got monitors, keyboard and mice in space. Just say yes. And they were like, yes. <laughs> so really, it came down to that. Now, if anybody, you know, hopefully our viewers know that esports is more than just competing. It's about, it's about social media. It's about branding. It's about image. So I had to kind of explain to the academy that, you know, in order to solve this kind of stuff, we have people that want to support us. And those individuals, the minute they found out Army West Point had an esports program, they called me. You know, and our principal sponsor right now is USA, and I can speak no, about no, that. Just,
1: just like just, no, I'm just just uh, highlighting mm-hmm. what what that must be like. Because oh, <laughs> I, I don't I don't talk to anyone that isn't out there just like beating their head against the wall trying to find people and for for sponsors to show up and say, please, I want yeah. to help you. I, mean, that's, I just had to point that out. That's great.
2: Yeah, and, and it's important because they we all have the same intent in mind. It's it's about taking care of cadets. So the USA understands this, you know, and I can speak about this because we're currently under a, a sponsorship agreement. And in that, I'm not going to highlight the company too much here on the podcast, but I just, just want to highlight the idea that it's not about the company. It's not about me. It's not about that. It's about truly creating an environment for cadets to them for them to enjoy day to day, everything about it. People would argue with me about like what, well, but why? Why the social media? Why the jerseys? Uh, come on, man! What kind of esports org doesn't have a jersey? You know, without them being excited, this is a, this is a young kid that would love to throw on the gear. Look, we got you know the shirts, the brand. It, it's a, it's a, it's about that. I use the analogy like we all, well, maybe not all of us, but some of us were interested in sports, stickball, ball, wiffle ball, whatever it was. We played against our friends on the street. I did. And, you know, it was fun then, but imagine if there was 20 people watching you go after it. You know, I played a little bit of basketball. I played a like two hand touch football. And then when there's a crowd, it's just that much more exciting. You know, everybody kind of just gets their chest out a little bit more like, yeah, let's do it. And that's the same thing for esports. Yeah. I can jump online. We can go four V four, but imagine you're on Twitch or you're on any of these streaming sites and you got a good audience watching. It changes the dynamic a little bit, It adds a little bit, something more. Yeah, it's not required. I could stop it all. Well, poof, gone. You'll never see us again. But ultimately, it's about that experience. Um, and we take advantage of, too, of, of demonstrating that, yeah, Army West Point is interested in collegiate competitive esports. And this is why. We have an opportunity to share our pillars. We have an opportunity to share the, the development strategy and let people understand you know, the mission of the academy. So it's all positive in every way. Uh, And USA understood that. And then I have um, obviously our gear, you know, I've been working on that. The furniture we use is a great company called Spectrum Industries. I was able to see the same idea and they're like, hey, man, we want to be a part of this.
1: That's great. No, that's that. Yeah. I I, I mean, it's really makes it easier for you, but also it's just really good to see that there are organizations out there that recognize what you're doing is valuable.
2: I mean, yeah, and if we that. have to capture that for our, you know, the viewers and the listeners right now, is we built the program and they will come. We know the analogy: if you build it, they will come. If you focus on the core idea about what you're building, it will t- it will catch. Somebody will, you know, if if you stay true to whatever your ideals are and what you're trying to design, somebody's going to parallel with you. Somebody's going to see the same idea and they're going to want to be a part of it. Yes, it's going to be frustrating because it's going to take time. Yeah. Um, be. Be patient. You know, the army is all about the long game. You know, when we're there, we're here for the duration. We're, we're here to help. But that's what worked for us. I was lucky enough for it to happen right out the gate. You know, the, the representative at the time gave me a call and she was like, Hey, we love everything you're doing. How can we help? What I had to do as the officer in charge is make sure I stayed within the guidelines of the military. I mean, I'll, I'm not going to solicit anybody or anything like that because, you know, I'm a public servant and I'm a public representative. So, we just have to dictate our needs. Like if we were to help me out, this is where I can. You really use your help. You know, we're gonna we're gonna go after this anyway. It'd be great to have you support us, and and that's how we take that approach.
1: Got it. Got it. No, that's just a great uh, great situation. It's, it's good to hear some good things. Yeah. Let's talk about a little bit about events and tournaments. Sure. Uh, do you, do you hold your own events and what events do you go to?
2: So, um, and again, we love the fact that I'll use the term tip of the spear. Um, we do our due research, you know, market research for the government is always done to understand what's out there. You know, how can the government benefit and how can we take care of cadets? Um, We've experienced a couple of land events. Obviously COVID put the brakes on everything uniquely enough during COVID. We were the one thing that was actually competing at the time because lucky enough, the cadets at the time took their laptops home, you know, and they're like, Hey, we can keep playing. And then, so believe it or not, we took the mantle, we took the flag of Army West Point and we took it into esports and we kept competing during COVID. Uh, we, there's a couple articles out from FedTech magazine and, and you know, Army that talked about that. But um tournament wise, getting back to land, it's my responsibility to ensure that when our cadet teams are involved in this kind of stuff, number one character is first and foremost, you know. We can go deeply into toxicity, we can go deeply into these lands and things like that, but ultimately you know, we're gonna look for the things that give the best experience for our our players and our cadets. They look towards, you know, a little bit of release for their, you know, the stresses of being at, you know, being at the academy and getting a chance to compete. Now what we, and we've been very successful. I had a chance to travel to um Long Island University with players. I've had a chance to go to our local community. We have esports facilities in the local, you know, footprint and you know, share those experiences with the cadets. But what we're finding is that there's not a lot out there. Um, uh, especially when you're trying to field six games. So, you know, trying to find a land. It's easy for COD. Everybody's playing COD. You get together, you play COD for 40 minutes and you, you leave. But imagine an Overwatch tournament or a League of Legends tournament. Um, you know, we have our, you know, we have our friends to the North in Canada that like to do these things, but ultimately everything's online. So we're actually going to make our own. we we've, we've come to find out that, Hey, you know, through, you know, support from our sponsors, we're able to put up a little bit of money and work with local businesses that are esports, you know, facilities and be able to say, Hey, let's put on our own thing. And let's, for me, though, it has to be inherently collegiate in nature. I'm not going to create something that's going to have the local team that's semi pro come in and just swipe up all the cash prize and, and leave the door. So our target audience is other colleges. You sound like you've been there. Oh, the, you know what? I hate that. I'm not going to call out our friends at the USO, but they, they, they deal with this all the time when they establish tournaments. It has to be fair and equitable across all DOD entities and they have to make it almost open. So you'll have a $5,000 prize pool and team XYZ sweeps in with, you know, a group of, you know, heavy hitters. And it's just white. So they're dealing with that to stay within regulation. What we're going to do. And, and through the DCA regs, I remember director of cadet activities, they said, hey, if you're gonna generate anything, if you're gonna create anything, it has to be inherently collegiate in nature. Bet that means I do an invitational, we're calling it the Army West Point Esports Invitational. It's in conjunction with Contender Hudson Valley. And what we do is say, hey, we set the guidelines for the Overwatch, be in this limit, come and play, you get a huge pat on the back. <laughs> Great, you're the best around. And you know, just giving them the environments they're looking for. And this is our first test. Um, this test will see all the logistics that have to go through. And I encourage anybody that's building the eSports program, do these particular tests without a lot of overhead and what a lot of, not with a lot of loss for me, this is in like the 2k range and doing so I'm going to learn a lot about, you know, the rule sets itself, you know, the logistics of the equipment, everything that's going to have to happen and us for us to get, become scalable and get bigger and get faster. So that deliberate practice. So targeting the local colleges, we we obviously look it in our area so that um, logistics for those colleges is little to no cost. They jump in a van, they drive 50 minutes, they're at the land. And that's the kind of things we're thinking of at the leadership level. Again, I use the term leadership. This is the things I'm thinking of as a director and I'm working side by side with, you know, cadets to understand how I think in regards to designing these things. So they learn that. So yeah, we're gonna get into the land business. Um, eventually you'll see us grow it so that we're having a large event on campus and we invite these colleges to come compete on
1: campus. I think that would be that would that would have a lot of attraction for people oh, to, to come
2: to. Can people visit West Point? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um um after COVID and after, you know, yeah. some of the some of the past, we just ask you to swing by our visitor, visitor center. Bring proof of, you know, government ID, you know, your intent, we have a great visitors program, they, there's tours, you know, you can jump on the bus, there's a fantastic museum, there's a fantastic visitor center where you can learn a lot about the pathway of the cadet, they'll take you on a tour into these areas of some you know, actual living history, that is the academy, um, you won't get into the deeper areas of the academy, because we try to maintain, you know, um, you know an environment for the cadets that's, you know, that's a campus environment having groups of tour groups you know go through these areas kind of yeah kind of kills the vibe so but you will i i promise you you get a chance to tour you know as morbid as this may be the 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 you know the cemetery is actually very historical in nature uh the views are fantastic and there's a lot of landmarks that you can oh look. and just, just so
1: much so much history there yeah you're talking about gawking it's like i was working over here at warner brothers and When mm-hmm. you go over to the when you go to the Warner Brothers lot, I mean, it's made for yeah. I mean, it's it, it, yeah. not everyone gets in there. I mean, you can take the tour, but it's like you know you're always looking at everyone. Know? so we went up to Facebook, and is early on when Facebook just moved into Menlo Park. There's two of us, and we we're like talking to this one guy, and it's like, "Mark Zuckerberg's office is right over there." So we're like looking, and yeah, all absolutely. the employees there were like, "Oh, tourists, tour." Yeah, they're were, they're were mm-hmm. giving us a hard time, and we're like, "Hey, we're from Warner Brothers. We're we're used to people." Looking yeah. at, at things, but to me, it was, is fascinating. So I understand what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. And,
2: and there are interactions and they're always positive. You know, and I think, you know, visitors to the academy just have, um, appreciation for the continued application of the academy and history and everything it's done. And it continues to do, you know, for the whole entire United States and throughout the whole entire world, you know, that, you know, we're trying to provide a good example for the things, you know, we've fallen and gotten back up and, and we continue to provide, you know, or what it looks like in a lot of those instances. Yes, yes. Can
1: you um <laughs> just to satisfy my own curiosity? Sure. <clears throat> the games that you choose are the shooter games more popular at West Point, and are you guys better? You guys, men and women, are, are um, better at it because of of where you're at. Or am I oh, just like making all this up?
2: Whoo, um, did better at it? Absolutely not. We were, I would say we're about 50%. We're middle of the pack. There's some amazing programs out there and there's the, there's the, you know, the misunderstanding about esports. Yeah. We have approach to military training and it's, it's designed to like real world applications. Let's, let's, let's put out the, you know, the elephant in the room, COD. You think that yes. we're, we're army. And then when we get into COD, we should be amazing because of the things we learn and the tactics. And I can tell you that there's a 0% application of military tactics into COD. <laughs> there's, okay, it's that was a, the real
1: question I had. Yesterday. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I mean, the best thing we do is, you know, within COD is we have a tendency to reload behind cover as opposed to somebody that likes to run across the street in a COD game and reload as they're running. You know, other than that, it's, it's really no, there's no translation. Um, it makes zero sense for the things they do in COD for you to do in a real world application. Um, the thing about combat and thing for us is we actually don't want to get into an engagement. We want everybody to be safe. One of the reasons why we present ourselves in that way is we want to deter violence. You know, don't make the mistake of going toe to toe with the United States infantry. You know, it's better for us to talk. Let's get through the politics. Let's talk this out. Don't make the mistake. Um, what we do that to demonstrate that we don't want to have any type of inter you know, altercation with you because we value your life and the things you care about, your families, everything. But if you insist on maintaining that level of violence, then I can promise you, you will lose. And that's the whole point. So the idea there is that we try to have open dialogue as much as you possibly can. But we have terms like violence of action and things like that. So we actually don't have to have an altercation with you. And so you quickly understand that you are actually going to have a bad day.
1: Now, so is it more stealth? then
2: absolutely yeah you know if you heard the term we own the night you know that is 100 percent true you know the whole idea is to minimize impact minimize risk to civilians minimize you know unfortunately you know casualties on our side as well as the enemy's side you know because we don't want that
1: which which unfortunately doesn't make for as exciting a video game
2: no it doesn't make for exciting movies either no
1: (laughs) as most things in life hey don't want to take your 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 whole day here but a couple of other things i wanted to ask about was what about social media Well, I guess the bigger picture, how do you promote your program and how would you say that you, your promotion might be different because you're West Point?
2: Um, The main thing right now is understand that uh, transparency is key. Um, There's nothing, you know, we don't make it one cent. We're not in the business of making money. It's actually against regulation for us to, you know, subscribe in any way in any of these platforms, You have to understand there's a debate between, you know, the constitutional right for a United States citizen in regards to freedom of speech and these different platforms, you know, things like Twitch. And now this kick, that stuff's coming up, you know, all the different things we do on social media. The whole point is to share the program with people. Like I said before, we want people to watch. We want people to acknowledge the hard work of our cadets. And unfortunately, in eSports, we don't have any other platform but something digital. Until we start doing lands more and you have a chance of people to visit and they get to see it in person. So that's inherently in social media. Um, Twitter is designed to share the program. It's an educational, you know, Twitter application. So you can see what they're doing and, you know, really just bring to light their hard work and then their effort. Same thing with Instagram. Telling the story, you know, showing, you know, the hard work of cadets and, you you know, the fun they're having. You know, you almost want to share the fun they're having. And then you deal with things like LinkedIn, which is more or less, you know, talking about what we're talking about today is infrastructure and getting that for businesses and and CEOs and other things. And then YouTube kind of holds the larger, you know, large format components of all that stuff. So I make sure that number one, all of our sites are registered with our public affairs office. So they in turn can counsel me on how to do social media correctly. It's active. It's up to date. You know, that's another thing, too, is a lot of your social media sites, you want to keep active and, and, and accurate in how it's describing the brand. Um, and that's the whole point. And, you know, is it vanity? Yes, I think there's elements of where you, well, hey, I want you to see this Latina Shield. I want you to understand that this is why we do it. But at the same time, it's it's completely transparent. We have obligations to the you know, the public for them to be able to ask any questions and everything they want to learn
1: about the program. What, what do you do with, uh, you, you brought up Discord before. How, how yeah. do you use Discord and how would you recommend someone else that's running an esports program use Discord? What's, what's the best approach?
2: Well, first approach for Discord, make sure it's going to be a tool that works for your program. For us, it's a closed community. We invite only. Um, it's an internal dialogue, which young men and women now understand that's almost how things work. You know, it's this project management style software. That's able to give you this almost near instant communication. Um, it has great features. Again, we're not endorsing Discord here, but, you know, the idea has features that allow you for almost chat, being able to share imagery, and all the controls that go inside of it are highly customizable. So if you were looking for anything to work with some of that, you can find software or software similar that can do the things you want it to do as a tool. Um, As far as outward reaching, I don't think it does a good job or any of these project management softwares do a very good job for growing audiences because there's these monetizations that are within them. But for what it does for us is, hey, I can just jump on, talk to a team captain on Discord and give them guidance and direction. And then I know it's it's there for them to reference because they're in class all day. So if something comes up, I can send them a DM and say, hey, don't forget about this. And it's kind of sitting there waiting for them. So for, as a tool, it works extremely well for us.
1: Got it. Got it. No, because I, I, I am, I am, um, I am Discord deficient here. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. I,
2: I would encourage anybody just give it a try. Uh Give yourself enough time to see how it becomes a tool that works for you, but don't exceed what you think it's supposed to do because it's really designed to be a project management software. Yes. Yes. So,
1: where the, the impression I get in talking to you is you yeah. like learning things. Yes where do you learn things to improve your position and where would you recommend other people to uh, other people running an esports organization? Where, where can they learn more to, to um, enhance their own personal development?
2: Well, obviously, you know, the internet is getting pretty strong. Yeah. You know, I think you could possibly Google anything, um, you know, and really get after the, the, you know, step process to add anything like, Hey, how do I do this in discord? Look it up and you know, put it into Google and you'll figure it out. What's really working well for me is asking people that are doing it well today. I actually reached out to other directors in the collegiate scene. I asked them the hard questions. Hey, how did you do this? How do you do that? Because I know they were successful in it. Well, keep in mind they were successful in it at what they needed it to do. It's not necessarily going to translate to what I'm doing. Cause as you can see, I have, I'm a lot more restrictive. I'm, my program is a lot more focused on, on, you know, military and the cadets, but there is a translation. So learning from other people that have done it. Uh, or taking elements of what they did and then using it in small components. So yeah, they may have done well here, but as soon as they got to a certain point, it, tra- it transformed into something else. And you can stop at that point and take what you want from it, and then putting it all together to achieve your identified goals. That's the other thing too: is what do you need to happen with this? What are you what are you trying to get from it? And where wh- you know where's your short term and long term goals. So between those two things, you'll find that. You'll get a lot of the information you're looking for, and then you're going to be the third component. The way you translate it and the way you present it for your particular brand or your particular company is the last element, and it's you.
1: No, that's great. Yeah, it's that, a good place to kind of can kind it of wind up here. I really appreciate you taking a little bit of your time here to talk. Yeah. I mean, I my my list I could keep going and going and going, yeah, but it's like, oh, hey, you know, maybe maybe there's a round two someday. But I just think it's really really interesting what it is that you're doing. Similarities with other with other organizations and the differences that set you apart there. So thanks for your for time talking about West Point, how you manage your team, how you manage your program. If people are looking to find out more information about what you are doing and what the team's doing, where, where's the best place to go?
2: Um, you can start with our socials. You know, obviously Twitter has that quick, you know, what we're doing today. Um, our, most of our tags are at army WP esports. E-E-S-P-O-R-T-S. Uh, That's on Instagram and Twitter. Um, Then when you get to things like LinkedIn, you have a company page on LinkedIn and you can just search Army West Point Esports and YouTube is the same thing. Army West Point Esports, uh, as you can see, the brand is out there. And even on Twitch, you know, twitch.tv slash Army West Point Esports, all spelled out. That'll get you to some. We don't do a lot on Twitch because Twitch is designed for this consistent, you know, individual streamer and then some team programs. We barely get to stream every once in a while. We're getting a little bit better now because we're getting into a good flow. Um, and then the semester is going to end <laughs> and then we're going to start right back all over again. So um, best thing to do is hit us up on Twitter right away and we'll start directing you to the other things you can look at. Great.
1: We'll put some links in the, in the, in the show notes there. Thank so so thanks for listening to the gamers change lives podcast in this season, season three, we have two new editions. We're going to be doing uh, exercise worksheets. So for each one of the episodes, you can go to our website, um, gamers com. And you're going to be able to download the worksheet to kind of continue the thinking of what it is that we're talking about in the episode. We also are starting a new Facebook group, not a Facebook page. We already have that, but a Facebook group and what people can go there and and start talking to others because the best teacher, and, and I, I think that's one of the things that I was hearing from Victor, one of the best teachers is other people doing the same thing. So to have that conversation. So thanks again, Victor.
2: Well, oh, thank you so much for having me. This is great. You know, Thanks for the opportunity to continue to share you know about our program because, you know, being able to also offer our knowledge about the program, yeah, hopefully it helps some people on how they establish their esports programs, you know, co- collegiate or not. Uh, is a great opportunity. We appreciate that.
1: No, thanks. So again, this is the Gamers Change Lives podcast.
0: Play games, create jobs, change lives. See you in the next episode. You've just heard the Gamers Change Lives podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment and leave a review. And if you haven't subscribed, do so right now so that you can stay up to date with episodes as soon as they're uploaded. And so you can hit the ground running on changing your esports adventure forever. You can also visit us at GamersChangeLivesPodcast.com. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Thanks for listening.